Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every good deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. I want to thank you for your word. We thank you for, once again, the opportunity to collectively come together and hear from you. Lord, we ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. I am glad that you're here. If you're new, once again, welcome. My name's Kevin. I am one of the pastors of Church at the Well also, and um, we are coming to the end of a series, and many of us take a big like sigh of relief because Ecclesiastes has been absolutely brutal, right? Um, this book, when we first started going through it, the idea was, you know, what does it look like to have a good life? Like, our, our culture would tell us that a good life is self-comfort, building kind of your own kingdom, finding a way to stop working as quickly as possible so you can kind of do whatever you want, um, instituting things that um, would make you feel um, safe, secure, comfortable, and then we find that what the book of Ecclesiastes has ultimately told us is since nothing is really permanent and nothing is and, you're li- and you don't know when your life is going to end and things are difficult and constantly things are happening to us in this sin-cursed world, um, it would probably be better to live for the Lord now. <laughs> it would probably be better to put our hope and trust in something that's eternal than something that is just temporal. And so when we look at the good life and we look at what Ecclesiastes has kind of taken us through, there's this... There's this sense, I guess, of all of the different topics and themes that Solomon brought up, and we get to the end of the book, and he's trying to wrap all of those things up in like one tight, needy little package, right? Neat little package, and it's, um, it's it would be a difficult thing to do. Um, But I am glad that the series doesn't end, or the book doesn't end last week with the last words being vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, right? Um, that would be kind of a depressing end to the book. And instead, we get this little wrap-up here that tr- tries to express what Solomon is trying to put together um, for us to take away from this, and it's a lot. It's a lot. The journey's been difficult. Um, hopefully for you guys, if you've been here through this journey, it Um, has been convicting. The whole point of this is for us to evaluate how we live and what we put our focus in, and then life change, right? To make the changes that are necessary to make sure that our life is reflecting what we claim we believe, the faith that we have in Jesus, and then representing him well and living for his glory, because that's what we were created for. And so, 
I don't know, you know, for every individual in here how this has served in your life or what changes have been made. I know it's an interesting time to come kind of to the end of this and move on to our Easter series, which will begin next week, especially in the midst of joyful surrender. So for those of you who have been joyfully surrendering something, um, I'm ready for a piece of cake, but we've got a little ways to go, right? I'm ready. Um, I think that the time of reflection for me has been very good in light of what's going on in Ecclesiastes, Um, Hopefully, for those of you who have been going through joyful surrender, you've taken more time to kind of meditate and pray and think, and obviously, Pastor Solomon here causes us to think in ways that we necessarily might not want to. And so, we're going to wrap this thing up today. Um, So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes, or turn on your Bible if it's on your phone. And like Christy mentioned, this is the very end, chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. All right, so last week, one of the things that we talked about was this idea that our life is designed to be a working life. We're to work so that we can be generous. Now, oftentimes when we think about working to be generous, it always wants to revolve around money, and that's not necessarily what we were talking about. It could. But the the reality of what we looked at last week was you have been created. You know, we talked about the fact that you didn't get to choose where you were going to, who you were, sorry, you were going to, you never got to choose when you were going to be born, who you were going to be born to, where you were going to be born. All of that was determined for you, right? But when you were born, you were born with a purpose, You were born with certain talents and gifts. And it's our job as Christ followers and as just good human beings to figure out what those things are so that we can work in every way possible to give those things back. It's a beautiful picture of how Paul describes the church when he says there's many members that make up one body. Sometimes you might serve as a toe and somebody else might serve as a hand and somebody else serves as the head. But the reality is we all work together to see the good of all. And so when we think about working for generosity, your your purpose is to figure out what it is that the Lord created you for, the the gifts, the talents, and then to use that in work so that you're you're providing for the whole in generousness. Right? What Pastor Solomon is describing here right off the bat is he has done that. We know that he was given amazing wisdom. He studied hard. He talked about that a little bit in here. He put all of these things together for us so that he could just kind of hoard them and be the smartest guy in the room. No, so that he could give them all away. Some of you are amazingly gifted. Some of you are overwhelmingly intelligent. Some of you love to study. Some of you have the ability to just be generous beyond anything that you can imagine. Some of you have great compassion. Some of you have the ability to make money. Some of you are good business people, right? Some of you are entrepreneurs. What Solomon is doing here is he's reminding us that he doesn't necessarily benefit whole, you know, from personally from 
accumulating all of this knowledge and wisdom and then passing it out to us, but he participates in what God's plan is for the whole. And so right off the bat, he's saying, look, I, I brought a bunch of knowledge and a bunch of wisdom to you, and I'm passing that on to you so that it's beneficial. And if I were to kind of stop there and say, okay, in our moments of conviction, what are you passing on that's beneficial? Um, I'm speaking, I've been talking to you guys a lot about me getting older, right? And I know I'm not that old. But what I'm feeling is transition, right? Like, I think as you get older, there's things in your life that you, you begin to view a little bit differently. There's things, the priorities change a little bit. Um, I've been working through this, this study where it's basically saying when you start to approach the age of 50, as a human being, you kind of go through this process of going, I want to move from success to like influence. Success is you're just working, 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 trying to make a name for yourself, do whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? Become who it is that you've been meant to be. Influence takes a shift. It's going, how do I take everything that I've learned to this point and help others with it? What do I want my legacy to be? You know, when as a young individual, it was hard for me to understand this idea of legacy because it feels like life is just going to keep going, right? But Solomon reminds us as we get older, things change. So I think that's a, a question that I wish I had been asked maybe when I was younger. What is it that you want your legacy to be? If you were to die tomorrow, what is it that you would want to be known for? Maybe this is a better question. What is it that you would be known for right now? Like, how would people describe you? What would you be known for? What was, the, what was the summation of who you were and what you did, and how would others view that? Like, if, if somebody said, this is what they were really about, they had to pick one or two things, what would it be? And if you're not sure then I always, like always, I would encourage you, ask somebody who knows you really well, right? Um, what I have found is there have been moments in my life where if I were to ask myself that question, I would have liked what I heard. Oh, you're known for being the funny guy, or you're known for being, you know, the class clown, or you're known for being the guy that's just crazy because you're willing to do anything. Is that the legacy that I would really want to be left behind? I think one of the things that Pastor Solomon is telling us here is we need to process through this. There's no reason to wait and begin working on what it is that you feel the Lord has called you to do and who you are and begin giving that back to the world. That's the generosity that he's talking about. And I love that he's done that. He explains that. Um, oftentimes when we look at people, they're like, just follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul said that. Or if you'll just do what I did, you'll be fine. And it comes across as arrogant. But when we have something like this where Pastor Solomon has told us, this is how you're to live. And then he says, I want you to look back and see that this is what I'm giving to the world. He models exactly what it is that he's asking us to do. And that's beautiful. I don't always do that, Right? Oftentimes, I'll be like, don't do what I do, just listen to what I say, <laughs> right? Um, if you're a parent, you'll say this a lot. If you're a new parent, get ready, because it's coming, right? 
that used to drive us nuts when our parents did that, right? Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth, but dad, you're, don't look at what I'm doing. Listen to what I'm saying, right? But Solomon, he's saying, look, I, I've introduced so many different themes to you. I wrote down a few here. Work, time, death, companionship, wisdom, injustice, politics. He went through all of these things. And he and he was very honest. There were moments where he said, this is an area that I really struggle in. This is an area where my mindset might not always be right. Here's some mistakes that I've made. And there's other areas where he said, this is areas where I've really done well in, where I've applied the wisdom and it served me well. But I, I want to remind you that Part of our legacy isn't just what we say, it's also how we behave and what we do. It's, I like using marriage a lot because I just think it's such a beautiful understanding of difficult relationship, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got two messed up people trying to come together and they bring all of their messes together, right? And try to love one another. It's hard. Marriage is hard. Right? It's beautiful, but it's hard. But in a marriage or any relationship that you can think of, if I just told somebody, if I told Christy over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I did nothing to show her that I loved her, do I really love her? I, I think one of the things that, that needs to be a takeaway here from Pastor Solomon is to say, oftentimes we will tell the Lord, I love you, thank you, thank you for blessing me, thank you for creating me, thank you for saving me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be reconciled to you. And I, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then when he looks at our life, he goes, do you really? Like, is there really evidence that you love Jesus if you couldn't speak? Right? And when those two things don't match up, it impacts our legacy. One of the other things I thought was really interesting here is he differentiates in these first few verses this, this issue between knowledge and wisdom. And I've talked about this a little bit, but I really want to kind of help us understand that just because you have intellect doesn't mean that you're wise. Right? Like, Knowledge doesn't mean that wisdom ensues. You can study all day long and you can quote facts and you could win Jeopardy. Okay? Like you could be Cliff Clavin and I've just dated myself. Does anybody know who that is? Okay, good, a few. He was this guy on a TV show that knew everything, right? He just always had like random facts about everything. I don't know who that would be today in TV, but that was his character. You could know all of that stuff. You could sit all day long and read and, and absorb and, and process, but that's not wisdom. That's knowledge. That's intellect. That's I'm getting more information. Wisdom is the ability to apply that information in a holy way. So I know a lot of people who are very smart and very unwise because they don't apply it well. They take all of this knowledge that they have and then you watch their life and you're like, wow, how can you be that smart and blow it this badly, right? And you know people like that. And if you can't think of anybody, it's you, probably, right? Like who? We know people like this. 
where it's, man, if they could just get it together, that, that knowledge that they have, they would just put it to use. I have learned in my years that it is so much easier to see other people's faults than your own. We're very, it's very easy for us to look at other people and go, you know what's really wrong with you? Like, let me tell you. Like, I've got this list, right? I could, I could tell you everything. Like, let me just run through this list with you real quick, right? But when we try to make that list for ourselves, it seems to be distorted, right? It's a lack of wisdom. It's a lack of true understanding. Um, there's been people that I've met in my life where I've said, I, and it's been of recent, right, where I'm like, man, I... I'm beginning to meet people who it seems like their understanding of themselves is so far removed from who they truly are. Right? And you know these people as well. There's a disconnect between what they know and how they behave. There's a disconnect in the knowledge that they have and how they apply that knowledge correctly in the world. So knowledge is a good thing. He's going to, Pastor Solomon's going to bring that up here in a minute. He's going to say, you know, you can study. You, it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to study and learn and, and understand things and process and expand your mind. But really the point of knowledge is so that you can apply it correctly. So that wisdom ensues. The, how do you know if you're a person of wisdom? Well, It gets a little tricky, but I guess it's not people that aren't making mistakes, right? I would say the wise Christ follower is the individual who continually probably makes mistakes because we're still sin-cursed beings, but they're repenting quicker, right? They're learning from their mistakes differently than they did in the past. There's mistakes that that we're making consistently, that we used to make all the time, and all of a sudden we go, wow, I'm seeing a pattern here. If I continue to behave this way, this ensues. Therefore, a change needs to happen. I, I need to stop doing that. That's, that's a, a component of wisdom. There's, we know if somebody's wise oftentimes by not how much they speak, but how little they speak. Right? Like, I don't know, I, I've served on a lot of boards, I've been in a lot of like, meetings, and it's usually that person, and, and you'll think, you, you, if you've been in meetings and stuff, you'll know this person, it's the person that doesn't say a lot, but when they speak, everybody's like, I want to hear what they have to say. Right? Because you know that They've listened, they've processed, they've watched what's been going on, and then you compare how they live and what they're saying, and they may say little, act great, and you're like, man, I'm really interested in what this person has to say. Um, there's wisdom. Solomon talks about this, right? Earlier on in the book, there's wisdom in keeping your mouth shut at times. There's wisdom in knowing when saying something is just for your comfort or your ego or whatever it is and not going to be beneficial. There's different ways that we can kind of understand if we have wisdom or not. I also want to say that you don't necessarily have to have a lot of knowledge to be wise. 
uh, I, you know, athletes, I'll, I'll do athletes so it doesn't sound like I'm insulting anyone because I don't think everybody has the same intellectual level. We know that. Whereas athletes will say all the time, athletes aren't all created equal, right? We just have some genetic freaks sometimes, right? Where it's like, the reason that guy is so fast is because he was just born that way, right? I mean, he works hard, but there's some natural talent there that is just phenomenal. And you can't really teach that, right? If you remember the movie Rudy, you had this really unathletic guy, maybe average athlete, right? And he does something extraordinary because of the work ethic that he was willing to put in and his tenacity to do it. But if you really look at the story of Rudy, he didn't play much. He didn't contribute a whole lot to the score of every game. He contributed to the morale of the team, right? But we don't look at Rudy and go, oh, it's so inspiring because here's somebody who had no athletic ability and worked hard and developed athletic ability. It doesn't work that way. Not all athletes are created equal. Not all people are created equal, right? I mean, we say they're in the United States, oh, everyone's equal. Yeah, you're supposed to be as far as like your rights, but people are different. I remember being in school and there was that one girl and I was like, quit screwing up the curve. <laughs> right? It's like, I'm a decent student and I, and I work hard for this and she doesn't do any studying. I'm looking at my wife and you just set the curve anyway, right? And it would frustrate me. I'm like, stop it. Like, I'm working so hard to get to this point. You're not hardly doing anything, and you're the one setting the curve. Not all intellect is, you know, not all people are given the same intellect, the same amount of ability to learn, so on and so forth, but that doesn't impact wisdom. The scriptures say that if you want to be wise, to pray to God who gives generously, and he will give you the ability to be wise. That's, that's an amazing gift. Because I really think that one of the biggest issues that our world faces is people that, yeah, they're knowledgeable, but they lack wisdom. They just lack wisdom. They don't know when to keep their mouths shut. They don't know when to boldly speak. They don't, they don't know how to take the knowledge that they have and use it in a way that's effective. Right? I mean, I have this, this dream, I guess, or vision. I mean, what, what would it look like for a church? I don't know, say like this church, right? This little church in East Boston. Scrappy little church. What would it look like if every single person that attended Church at the Well in East Boston spent time every day praying that the Lord would give them wisdom in the decisions and behavior? What would happen? Like, wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, you're going you're gonna to have a, a conversation with someone or you're going to walk into a business meeting and before that you said, Lord, I don't know everything that's going on here, but I'm going to pray that you will give me the wisdom to impact every person that I am interact with in a positive, Christ-honoring way. What would happen? For those of you who struggle with temper, I know what would happen. It would come down. For those of you who struggle with confidence, it would give you more. For those of you who struggle with knowing when to speak and when not to speak, 
it would force you to think through it. I mean, even, right? I mean, he promises that he will, but even if you felt like, man, I didn't necessarily felt like the Lord showed up in that prayer, but he promises he will. But even if he doesn't, wouldn't it even change your mindset? Lord, just give me wisdom to deal with the people today. Don't let this be about me. Let this be about you. Don't let this be about what I always want or just my good. Give me the ability to live this out in a way that's beneficial to everyone. What would change? What would change if the church actually displayed wisdom? A lot. A lot. A lot of the things that we see in our culture and how people perceive Christ followers, you know, <laughs> we'll see things on the news and people will be like, I don't like Christ followers because, you know, they, they hate people, they're prejudiced, whatever it is. And oftentimes I go, the reason that they believe that that's who Christ followers are is because that's what we've displayed. It's not made up. They go, well, it's just a, it's, it's not wisdom. Oftentimes, I'll be asked to go, we, we had this conversation the last trip, you guys send me oftentimes down south, and I do believe you should have a passport to go south. It is different, right? The culture's different. And oftentimes, I'll be talking to the churches that are there and saying, if your church is known more for where you stand politically than it's known for Jesus, then you are sinning. And I usually I'm like, we're probably never going to get invited back here, right? But I think I can comp- apply that to individuals as well. If you're known more for where you stand politically, where you stand socially, what your issues are, so on and so forth, more than you are known for being a Christ follower, then I would say there's an issue already. Like, why is it that... That's probably enough. Are you employing wisdom there? What are you known for? Verse 10, it says, The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. This is an unpopular thing to say in our culture, but there is truth. It, It doesn't matter. I mean, I know politics end up like making everything gray, but if you have two opposing views, right? They can't both be correct. They can't. So I've told you before, I have a biology degree, so I know some science, right? And I know that, and and there's a lot of math in there. Like math is very precise. Science is very precise. If, If in chemistry you pour two solutions together and by pouring those two things together, a very specific reaction is supposed to take place and it doesn't, then that means I did it wrong. Right? Um. Truth is important. 
One of the things that wisdom gives us is the ability to discern what is true and what is not. Wisdom does not tell us that everything we read on social media is true. <laughs> wisdom doesn't tell us that everything we hear in the news is true. Right? Wisdom tells us that we're to discern that we understand that even the best people on the planet still have personal agenda. How do we know that? Because you do and I do. This idea of truth, it, it's, it's a search that if you look at the great philosophers of our day and way back, right? So you pick. Pick a famous name that you like. That was their whole goal. We've got to discern what truth is. What We've abandoned that, right? Our, our, in our, what we claim to be intellect, we've said, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and now we're both blind. And we haven't just... We haven't just endorsed it, we've actually attempted to live it out. And then we go, why is everybody so messed up? One of the things that Solomon reminds us in this book is there is truth. There's truth that's universal. If, if you believe that we were created by a God, and if you believe that that God is infinite and all-knowing, then you also have to believe that he's the source of truth. Which means that it's our job to discern from him, from this God, what truth is. And we don't make it up. We say, what does the creator say? Now, if we are a bunch of accidents, then Obviously, that makes some change. But I, I just think it's fascinating that people who claim to believe that there's a holy God who created all things would literally say, I need to discern my own truth instead of understand the truth that's been given to me. To seek out truth from the one who made it all. It's a lack of wisdom. There's so many, we could talk on this all day long. There's so many areas where we really blow this. So I guess if, if anything, one of my pleas in understanding what the true good life is, is desire wisdom. Desire the ability to discern the knowledge that you've been given and act on it in truth. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. There's a couple of things in here that are pretty cool. Um, the first thing is he kind of gives us two analogies, and I'm just going to give you a couple of different ones because these aren't going to make a whole lot of sense in our day. But 
what he's trying to describe here is he's saying, and when he says the words of the wise are like goads or like nails, the words of the wise, so wisdom is like a something that solidifies us from the ground up, okay? So if you, the one in here that will make the most sense is like a, a piece of wood. So if you can picture a piece of wood like floating around in the ocean and it has no direction and it doesn't know what it's doing and it's like, I don't know what my purpose is, I'm just floating, right? And then at some point a storm hits and the winds blow it in and it lands on the ocean and then somebody goes and finds this piece of wood and grabs it and then puts a couple of nails in it to hold it and says, this is going to be your purpose and I'm going to solidify you in that purpose with these nails. He's describing those nails in that understanding of purpose as wisdom. You're no longer floating around. You're not, you're not just being tossed to and fro. Or maybe an, another example would be if you're a camper and you go out and you pitch your tent, Right? and you know that a storm's coming, what do you do? You stick stakes in the ground. And those stakes prevent the wind from coming in and taking your tent wherever you don't want it to go. And if you've ever gone camping without stakes, it's bad. There's a commercial, um, those replay commercials, have you guys seen those? Where it's like two people are arguing about what's going on, and they're like, all right, you got one more, right? You got one more replay, so they throw out the red flag and then the guy comes in with his little TV and they actually look at the conversation. I so wish that existed. <laughs> and now here's why. I know that 99% of the time I would be wrong, but it would still help me go, wow, look how often I'm wrong, right? Like my perception is so weird. I, I, I wish that would happen, but if you kind of think like, okay, anyway, the point of that was, I remember that argument when it was like, who's bringing the stakes? <laughs> I was supposed to do that, and I didn't. That was, let's put that one aside. So if you don't stake your tent in the ground and the wind shows up, what happens? Your tent's going to go wherever the wind takes it. Right? It's Where's the wind blowing? If you align this with the world and you... <laughs> You picture the, the knowledge, not the wisdom, the knowledge of the world and the constant changing of the wind, and you're this individual who's just constantly getting blown here and there and there, and you go, I don't know what's right anymore. You know, you guys change constantly. You used to say, do this, and now you say, do this. So which is it? You used to tell me that this is wrong, now you're telling me that it's right. Which is it? I mean, th this changes on the daily, right? What, what's popular now isn't going to be popular then. People go all the time, like, Kevin, why don't you change your clothes? Because they're going to circle back around, <laughs> right? Like, I'm not giving up my cargo shorts. There's too much storage there, <laughs> right? And if you give it a couple years, everybody's going to be back in them anyway. And I don't want to wear short shorts. So there you have it right? It all circles back around. <laughs> That's wisdom, I think. <laughs> when you don't know what you believe, and you don't know what's anchoring you in the ground, somebody else will determine what you believe, and they will be the one to move you. And so what Solomon is saying is wisdom is the ability to stay anchored 
regardless of how the wind's blowing. Wisdom keeps you grounded in what's actually true, even when the winds are blowing. It's a foundation. It's the ability to say, we are, I am staked in. I know, I know that this is true. And just because now culture says it's not doesn't mean that it's not. It's true. It begins, you know, for most of us with saying there is a God and I believe that there is a God. Well then, we need to act like He actually exists. And then we also need to realize that we're not the Him. Where are you blown? Right? So much anxiety. I have this theory, and I could be wrong. I don't know that this is biblical. This is just Kevin. Kevinism, okay? I have a theory that one of the reasons that our world is experiencing more anxiety statistically than it's ever experienced before is because people are just constantly blown. There's no stability. It's just, you're blowing all over the place. And how do you, how do you grab hold of anything in that? I mean, it... I, Honestly, I don't know how anybody who doesn't know the truth of Christ would actually not be anxious. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what ground, what, how you'd be grounded. He continues after say, giving these analogies to say that the truth is given by one shepherd. And there's a whole lot of different interpretations of this, but the one thing that is constant in the original language is that this word shepherd is capitalized and it represents God himself. For us as Christ followers, we know that Solomon's probably, because he's wise and knows that there's been a promise of a Messiah that's going to come in the future, is referencing him. He's saying the truth is going to come from one person, one being. One God, the shepherd, the creator, and that's where our knowledge and that's where our wisdom is going to come from. Right? Listen, if you ever come here to church at the well and go, and I don't know why anybody would do this, but go, oh, I'm going to live my life a certain way because Pastor Kevin said this. I'm going to pity you right now. Because I don't have anything for you other than what the truth of Scripture says. Right? Like, this isn't, you don't want to hear my opinion. You, there's plenty of opinions. You can get on Facebook and you can find all the opinions that you want. Right? The interwebs will give you all of that. We're, we don't lack opinion. We lack truth. You don't, you don't want to hear my opinion. This is truth. So this is what we need to hear. It's every week I'll pray, Lord, please, like anything that's of me, would you please let every single person who hears my voice forget those things and everything that's of you, like ingrain it in not only their hearts but mine. Because I don't have anything for you but the truth of Christ. And the moment that I believe that I do, it's time for me to step down. But I believe that to be the case for everyone. Right? 
As a Christ follower, we're not attempting to produce truth. We're, predi- we're, we're, we're attempting to reflect truth, right? You're recipients of truth through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus, and then we're to pass that truth on in wisdom. It's not a creation of truth. It's why when you keep reading, Pastor Solomon's going to say, studying is good, knowledge is good. However, you can study all day long and you still aren't going to gain any more knowledge because really there's only one truth anyway. I mean, it, it sounds arrogant from Pastor Solomon when he's like, telling his son, and basically we're the sons and the daughters, and he's saying, you don't really need to read any other books. It's all here. That's, he's accu- it's accurate. Right? I, I get nervous in Christian culture when I, when I hear people who claim to be disciples of Jesus spending more time reading interpretations of Scripture than in Scripture itself. Right? Like, j- how many podcasts how many times do you have to listen to a preacher say the same thing? How, much, how many you know, books do we need? I mean, if you walk into my basement and the amount of books I have in my library, it's pretty crazy. It's a big library, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying if I spend more time in those books than I do in this, I'm getting potentially more opinion than I am truth. And isn't it fascinating that for some reason, even as Christ falls, we'll be like, yes, I read this book. And I'll say, oh, that's great. How much time did you spend in the Word this week? None. Why? Because I read this book. No. That's not what it sh- That's not wisdom. When I was a kid, texting was letters, okay? What we called them notes, right? And if you, I don't know if any of you are country music fans, but there's a lot of country music songs about passing notes, right? And they, they don't, and everybody hears them and they're like, I don't even know what a note is, right? But I mean, we used to, like, it was a science. Like, it was like, okay, she sits up there and I sit back here and we got to get this note to that person as slyly as possible without the teacher seeing it, Right? We didn't have to worry about, oh, don't be on your cell phone. We were like, how do we get the note there, right? And all it was was just like little like things or love letters or whatever. Your grandparents can talk to you about this stuff, right? Like we, that was like how we communicated. It was, it was how things worked. And we spent so much time attempting, but, but, but picture this. Think of it this way. It's as if you, you got the note from the girl or the guy that you were hoping to get, right? Think of yourself as like five years old. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And you get it back and it's like, yes. And you're like, oh, right? Like think about the, the way that your heart started beating and, every, and you're like, I mean, you're, you're processing love at this age, right? But you're like, yes. They said yes. And you don't even know what that means anymore, but you know you're excited about it, Right? And how many times did you read that? Like how many times? Over and over. Why? Because there was something presented to you that was impacting. 
he, there was emotion around it. It was like, oh, this, this is it. This is, I mean, because we're so young, this is what I've been waiting for, right? But it's almost as if you get the note, you send the thing, and then they send the note back, and you read it once, and you're like, throw it away. Right? That's what we do with this. Why don't we have the same amount of passion for this? It's a love letter from the guy that created us. And he says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I've got stuff for you, I've got purpose for you, I've got a plan for you, I've got good things for you, I can explain to you why things are hard. I can tell you why life feels so difficult all the time. I have an answer for that. It's not hidden from you. I can tell you why you need to be grounded. I can tell you why you need wisdom. Then we go, oh, but I would rather read an interpretation of somebody else than from directly from God. It would be like having a middleman between me and my wife. That would be weird. Hey, Gilly, would you tell my wife I love her? Oh, also tell her, right? Like, that's weird. And I'm not, you know, authors are now going to write to me and be like, why are you messing with our sales? The issue is we need people to help us discern. That's great. God uses those people. But if you're a Christ follower, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Scripture for you. So why are you depending on somebody else to illuminate it for you? You miss out on your relationship. And that's what Solomon's saying. Right? Let's get down to the end here. Verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If you don't come to church very often, this is why. Right? Because you're like, that's what I remember. I remember, like, I remember that. I remember being in youth group, right? And it was like, all they did was give me this list of things that I couldn't do, and I wanted to do every single one of them. It was so interesting. We were driving here today from our house, which is a very short drive, and this song comes on the radio, and the song is Everything That I Love Is Killing Me, right? And now, it's not this amazing song. The things they were listing were like whiskey and smoking and caffeine, I think it was, right? And everything that I love, everything that I'm pouring myself into are killing me because I know that smoking is going to give me cancer, and I know that if I keep drinking, I'm not going to be able to function, and I I disagree with the caffeine thing. (laughs) I remember being in youth group and listening to things like, look, I'm I'm trying to be discerning here. Okay, I don't see a lot of young people. Um, Like, my youth pastor saying things like, sex is dirty and gross, and I'm like, no, it's not. I, I know it's not because everybody's doing it. Right? I remember them saying things like, if you do this, then this will happen. And do you know what? I did it, and it didn't happen. Right? I wasn't one of those kids that got caught. I wasn't a bad kid. Like, I just like to push the envelope a little bit. Right? And so to me, I listened and I would be like, man, the Bible's boring and it's irrelevant. 
That's what I felt. When we read passages like this, it can often bring back those memories, right? But I want to introduce this to you in a little bit different way, and first, so I can go on record. The Bible is the farthest thing from boring and is the most relevant thing that I've ever read. It's the only thing that doesn't change no matter what times change, right? The truths are always there. The wisdom's always there. I just didn't see it that way. The end of, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. What does fear God actually mean? Does it mean that I just sit back and I tremble? Maybe. Sometimes for the Lord to get my attention, he needs to be the father that makes me tremble. Sometimes, right? Right? Um, sometimes for you to hear from the Lord, he needs to be the father that makes you tremble. There are moments that if I'm honest and I watch the world around me, there are moments where I've realized that I didn't hear from the Lord until he allowed me to hit rock bottom. And you go, well, why did you hear from him from there? Because I had no choice but to look up because I couldn't go any lower. Right? Some of you, because I'm a pastor and I get to, and one of my great privileges is to pray for you. Some of you, and I've heard your stories, sometimes I pray, Lord, would you let them hit rock bottom so they have no choice but to hit their knees and look up? And you're like, that's a terrible prayer. No, it's not. It's, it's a prayer of wisdom. Sometimes that's true. But the fear of the Lord is a little bit different than that. It's, it's a bunch of things wrapped up in one. It's, it's a willing to be submissive to the truth. It's, it's a respect. It's a dependency. It's worship. All of these things coming together. It's saying this, ultimately. This is the fear of the Lord. There is a God, and I'm not Him. That's the fear of the Lord. There is a God, and I'm not Him. And you go, well, okay, great. So that's the fear of the Lord. What's this? You constantly have to obey him. Here's the thing. The Lord doesn't say to obey him or he's going to just throw lightning bolts at you. Okay? My guess is, based on my experience, that's not my experience. It, we don't picture Greek mythology where it's like, oh, you, you disrespected me. Boom, here comes the lightning bolt, Right? Sometimes you live terrible, you do terrible things, you live a life that doesn't look very holy, and it feels like you're just constantly going, right? But there's a couple of things here. Internally, there's this spiritual deadness that's going on, and you realize that no matter what you do, it seems to not be fulfilling and is empty. Because I've been there, and I know you've been there. Man, it doesn't matter, seem to matter how much I work, how hard I put it in, what it, what's going on, how dedicated I am, what I give myself over to, it all ends up tasting like ash in my mouth. And what the Lord is saying is, you don't have to do that. Come, taste, and see 
that the Lord is good. There's a responsibility that I would place upon a God who reveals himself in one way to us as Father to want what's best for us. Yeah, you can live that way, but there's no satisfaction and there's no wisdom. And the end result is just a bad taste in your mouth and a lack of satisfaction. But as a good father, I'm giving you guidelines in your life so that you prosper. I didn't, I was, as a father, I had my moments of failure, but as a father, one of my jobs was to go, if you do that, there's going to be consequences for it. Right? Like, I can't stop you from doing everything. You're, you're your own person. You're going to do your things. But I'm just telling you that if you do that, the consequences that will come in the future, you won't like. And just like every kid, we all make our choices. My dad said the same things to me, and I would do it, and then I would hate the consequences, and then he'd have to come bail me out. Right? Or he would be sometimes go, I'm not bailing you out. There's consequences. A good father says there's, there's guidelines that you need to live your life in if you want to have a good life. The good father gives us those things. He doesn't give us things in our life to say, I don't want you to have any fun. In fact, we've already talked about this in Ecclesiastes. He wants Christ followers to have the most fun. He wants Christ followers to be the most joyful people, the hardest workers, the ones who receive blessing, the ones who recognize truth, the ones who employ wisdom. All of that is beautiful stuff. But just like anything else, we don't just get that because he goes, here it is. We live in a sin-cursed world. There's certain things that if we participate in or do or give our life over to or put these little idols in our life that we're living for, there's consequences for them. And we don't get to experience everything <laughs> that he had for us. That's why Solomon's saying, listen, I, it's like a father saying to a child, listen, I'm not perfect as a father, but I'm telling you, I have experience, I know, and if you follow the same path in this way that I did, it's going to end up in the same spot, so don't do it. I'm an imperfect father telling my child that. Now think, there's a perfect father who doesn't make mistakes and knows everything and created all. And he's saying, I have a way for you to live that will be the most fulfilling and give you the most joy and the most pleasure and the most fun and the most opportunity to have purpose. And then we go, just like kids, well, I don't want to do that. But it doesn't mean it's not true. So when Solomon says, look, fear the Lord, respect Him, worship Him, understand Him, seek after Him, understand His truth, yes, let Him be a father for you, and then follow the advice that He gives you. He's saying it because He wants our good. He's not trying to prevent you from doing something that you want to do. He's trying to help you. He's trying to help me. I'm just stubborn. So are you. The end is this. We have a God that created all and everything's going to end with him. And we know that. It talks about it in Scripture. 
This isn't supposed to be some doom and gloom day. The whole point of Solomon saying, listen, you need to understand that your time is short. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how much longer you have. So why live a life that's miserable in the process? There's some urgency that's given to us here. The urgency is, yes, you can keep doing what you want to do, but I'm telling you, you're going to end up in the same result. Or you can do something different. You can listen to what the Creator says. You can follow what His advice is. You can understand that if I truly want to know Him, He says it's only going to come through the person of Jesus, therefore I need to give my life to Christ. And experience something different. Experience what you were created for. And this is the good life. So I, I stand here imploring you who are listening, if you don't know Christ, you don't know the good life. Because you can't. He's the good life. I know all the, I know all the issues. People will say, well, if that's a Christ follower, I don't want to be that. Well, then don't be that type of Christ follower. Like, be this type. Because I see a lot of people who claim Christ that aren't this type of Christ follower. So what do we do with all of this? Well, everything in the Old Testament is this constant reminder of these rules that we can't follow and that we break, and therefore it's the promise of the Messiah coming to live out what we couldn't do. And that's the gospel. The gospel is this. You've sinned against the holy God. You've constantly blown it. You constantly will. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, Jesus, is life in Jesus Christ. Meaning, God doesn't come to you and say, I need you to be perfect. He's coming to you and saying, you're a sin-cursed individual and you can't be. Stop trying to clean yourself up because you can't. So what did he do? He solves the problem by sending Jesus, living the life that we were supposed to live, dying the death that we deserve, raising three days later, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. And then he says, you can do two things. Here's your choice. You can pay the death penalty yourself, or you can accept the death penalty that Jesus gave you and be free. But either way, a death has to be paid. You owe a debt. It's the greatest, for any economist, you're like, there's no such thing as a free gift. It's free. It requires faith. He'll take you exactly as you are, but here's the catch. He won't leave you that way. He'll change you. He'll change you. Your life won't look the same. Your priorities won't be the same. Your desires won't be the same. He'll grow you. He'll turn you every day by his grace more and more into the likeness of his son if you let him. That's the life that is available. That's the good life. So the question is this. 
For those of you who are here today and you don't know Jesus personally and you're like, uh, here's the thing. You know, you probably have questions um, or maybe you're sitting there going, I want the good life, but I'm not sure how to actually achieve this. This is my response to you. Ask the questions. Turn to the person next to you. Go, do you know Jesus? If they say yes, say, can we get some coffee? I know a great place. Ask the questions. But I will say this to you as well. There's no amount of knowledge that you're going to gain that's going to convince you of anything. It's going to be wisdom. And wisdom comes from the Lord. So if you truly want to know him, and you're willing to take my dare, then I double dog dare you to spend some time today praying to this God that I'm talking about and asking him to reveal himself to you. And then listen. And then watch what he does as he begins to bring people around you who are going to help you along the way. For those of you who know Jesus, I mean, everything that Solomon has said to this point and how it all wrapped up, how's your life? Are you living the good life? Or are you living an imitation of one? What are you walking toward? How are you going to be known? How are you known currently? What do you want your legacy to be? Have you even prayed about that? What does the Lord want your legacy to be? What is your unique contribution to this planet? Are you doing it? Do you even know what it is? And if not, why? And uh, singers are going to come up. We're going to sing one last song. And I'm just going to encourage you to process. Think through this. What? Don't leave here the same. I mean, it's, it's so great to come and see everybody and hang out and hear, you know, the word preached and so on and so forth. But the reality is, once again, it's not like, it's not like I go, oh, this is great. There's people and I get so much out of this. There, that's not the point. The point is life change. The point is, as I'm speaking, I'm speaking to myself as well. And I need to contemplate these things. And so do you. So do it. Don't leave here the same. So as we sing, I don't know, if you need to talk to someone, there'll be someone standing over here you can talk to. If you just need to pray, you need to repent, whatever it is, do it. We're going to pray and then we'll sing together. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your grace and our life. Thank you for caring enough about us that you didn't just create us and leave us on our own. Lord, we're grateful that you have given individuals like Solomon such amazing wisdom for us to discern. Lord, I pray that we would. Lord, I ask that for anybody in this room right now that that doesn't know you personally, I pray, Lord, that you would regenerate their heart right now, that you would remove a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and give them faith to believe. Lord, that they might begin the journey of the good life. I pray that for your church, that we would represent you and stop putting things ahead of that. 
Lord, I pray that our legacy would be the gospel, that our legacy would be Jesus, that that's what we would care about most, that you would give us the ability to represent him well. And Lord, wherever that is as an individual, wherever we're failing in that area, I pray that you would convict our hearts. Not only for the good of the church and the good of the world, Lord, but for the good of our soul. Lord, help us be more like Jesus. We thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen.